Happy Saturday and thank you for joining me tonight. So they just walked out. They got up and they exited the building in protest of a militia bill. Uh, the year was 1870 and 13 Democratic senators and the Texas state legislature, they broke quorum and they just left. They were soon arrested by the governor's forces, which is legal and has happened before, including in the United States Congress. Then more than a century later, after that walkout in 1870 over the protest of a militia bill, it happened again, this time with adorable little outfits. And there were 12 senators who hid from the state house for days to prevent a quorum on two bills related to primary elections. It was just complete chaos as everyone was anticipating for them to come back. I mean, due to legislative rules, they couldn't just vote without those senators. No, this was a quorum, meaning a minimum number of senators had to be present in order to do anything. But because those 12 senators had literally left the state, that would not be possible. Again this morning, Lieutenant Governor Bill Hobby called senators to order. And once again, no quorum. The killer bees gone as they have been since Friday. The 12 fugitive senators have eluded 50 full-time state patrolmen, investigators, and Texas Rangers. Police even searched by helicopter and in Mexico. But patrolmen failed and so were nicknamed the bumblebees. That was reporting from NBC Nightly News on May 22nd, 1979, as the search for those 12 senators, those 12 Texas state Democratic senators, essentially came to a halt. Law enforcement was like, all right, well, we can't find them. Maybe they'll come back soon. Uh, but that wasn't the last time that this happened. 24 years later, in 2003, um, 53, excuse me, 50 Democratic senators fled the state to Oklahoma um, to protect a bill, excuse me, in protest of a bill related to redistricting, which is a typical and classic Republican voter suppression tactic. They wanted to essentially redistrict the area, so essentially they would have more benefit in terms of the electorate, in terms of getting more Republicans elected instead of Democrats. And so Texas Democrats, they left the state that year. 50 Texas Democrats, they fled to Oklahoma in protest of this bill. In 1845, uh, with the support of President-elect Henry Polk, um, President John Tyler was able to get a joint resolution passed in March of 1845 to make Texas a state. On December 29, 1845, Congress granted Texas statehood, and it was formally annexed into the United States. Not even 30 years into statehood, and they were already having a major political protest. Not by citizens, but by Democratic state senators. In case you were wondering, these walkouts are completely legal, and they are effective as well. It has transpired three times in Texas state history, and it has just happened again this year, twice. Texas Democrats in the state legislature walked out because of Republican voters because of a Republican voter suppression bill uh, that essentially stopped the legislative session. And last Thursday, just a couple Thursdays ago, a special legislative session was convened. Just a couple Mondays ago, a, as Texas Republicans reconvened, majority of the Democrats were not present. Where did they go, you ask? Well, they walked out, like in the other times. But just like in 1979, they left the state in the battle to defend voting rights for all Texas citizens, regardless of political party. This was the headline at the Texas Tribune, quote, Texas House Democrats flee the state in move that could block voting right voting restrictions bill, bring legislator to a halt, end quote. Now, before I go a little deeper into that, um, 
there were many attempts by them and also by the public to stop Republicans from passing this bill or at least advancing it for a vote to be done for a quorum. Before it ultimately came down to leaving the state entirely, uh, they proposed uh, substantive amendments to the bill that could all get down, essentially that could, that all get voted down by Republicans. And then the general public got involved sharing personal stories and also making their cases. Um, as black women, the first 22 founders, um, they were told to walk behind, to be the last people in that march. And I think it's important and it's really shaped my view today because I know that as a young black woman that my vote has been one of the last groups of people who have been considered, um, who have been given, granted the opportunity to vote. The history of voter suppression in this country um, has lasted way longer than the efforts to make sure that um, voters are eligible voters are um, having a fair say, um, have the opportunity to vote without intimidation. Um, and I really just want you all to consider that today. I am the councilwoman of, of a seven in DeSoto, Texas. I was recently elected this year into office. Um, I'm a veteran. I served my country proudly for 10 years, two tours in Iraq. Many of the things that I've seen in SB1 directly impact the people that look just like me, um, who have a s similar um, backgrounds as I, I do. As a veteran, I learned really quickly how important voting was to me. So. I oppose uh, SB1. I'm very grateful to be an elected official too, but I know that I, I don't want to choose my voters. I want my voters to choose me. Quote, I don't want to choose my voters. I want my voters to choose me. End quote. Once again, members of the public coming to convince Texas Republicans not to vote on this bill, not to advance this bill, or not even to pass the bill. Because this voter suppression bill by Texas Republicans, it would ban 24-hour drive-through voting, which was a highly effective technique last year, um, and especially in Harris County. It's, it specifically happened in Harris County last year. Uh, Harris County is the largest county in Texas. It is the fourth largest county in the United States. And Texas Republicans, I guess they essentially looked at that and said, oh no, that was highly effective. And you got huge Democratic support from right there at that specific county. So we're going to restrict that. It made people... It made it easier for people to vote. Oh, no, we're going to take that away. This bill also prevents election officials from sending absentee ballot applications to voters who have not requested them. It also adds new ID requirements to vote by mail. It also adds criminal penalties for, for, for voting violations. It empowers partisan poll watchers. It bans oversight for early voting. So leaving the state was basically their last resort to stop this bill from passing. They said that they will stay there in D.C. until August 6th, which would be the end of this legislative session. We know that at least 58 of the Texas state Democrats, 58 of the 67 Democratic representatives of the state legislature have left. That is the number needed to break quorum, therefore halting all legislative business. Nothing can be done. 
On Monday night, just a couple of Monday nights ago, the Texas Democrats arrived in D.C. after flying out of Austin, Texas, but D.C. wasn't their original plan. According to NBC News, Arizona and West Virginia were on their list initially. Why? Because, because both of those states have Democratic senators who are more concerned about abolishing or reforming the filibuster than protecting voting rights and our Democratic Republic. Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, along with some others who are probably who are probably not uh, vocal about this, publicly vocal about this, um, for months have been trying to do bipartisanship, but it is 100% clear that that is not going to work. We are deeply polarized as a nation, not united, but we are extremely divided. Ultimately, for Texas Democrats, they chose D.C. because Arizona and West Virginia have Republican governors, which they thought could assist in bringing them back to Texas. They also chose D.C. because it sends a clear and loud national message. We must protect voting rights at a federal level, and we must do this now. They recently spoke on the United States Capitol, um, and President Biden also delivered some remarks on the same topic about voting rights. And the power must always be with the people. That's why, just like we did in 2020, we have to prepare for 2022. We'll engage in an all-out effort to educate voters about the changing laws, register them to vote, and then get the vote out. We'll encourage people to run for office themselves at every level. We'll be asking my Republican friends in Congress and states and cities and counties to stand up for God's sake and help prevent this concerted effort to undermine our election and the sacred right to vote. Have you no shame? Whether it's stopping foreign interference in our elections or the spread of disinformation from within, we have to work together. Vice President Harris and I will be making it clear that there's real peril in making raw power rather than the idea of liberty, the centerpiece of the common life. Founders understood this. The women of Seneca Falls understood this. The brave, heroic foot soldiers of the Civil Rights Movement understood this. So must we. This isn't about Democrats or Republicans. It's literally about who we are as Americans. It's that basic. It's about the kind of country we want today, the kind of country we want for our children and grandchildren tomorrow. And quite frankly, the whole world is watching. <laughs> Folks, I'm not being sentimental. I'm not preaching to you. I'm just giving it to you straight. As I promised I would always do, lay things out on the line and honor your trust with trust. So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote and fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. For make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies are threatening the very foundation of our country. It gives me no pleasure to say this. 
I never thought in my entire career I'd ever have to say it. But I swore an oath to you, to God, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And that's an oath that forms a sacred trust to defend America against all threats, both foreign and domestic. President Joe Biden there speaking on voting rights in Philadelphia. He also, in that speech, he said the big lie is just that. It is the big lie. Uh, Once again, President Joe Biden there just excoriating Republicans on what they are doing here, um, state, and also what they are attempting to do federally as well um, as these voter suppression tactics are continuing. This also voter, voter nullification. And I say nullification because you look in the bills and some of what they're doing, and it would essentially just white people, some people's ability to not vote at all. It would severely restrict others from voting, but then for others, it would essentially just eliminate them from ever voting again in the United States of America, which is terrible because we are a democratic republic, meaning we are a participatory democracy. That doesn't mean that the people in office get to choose their voters. That doesn't mean the people in office get to choose the electorate or overturn elections. That is not a democratic republic anymore. That's not even a democracy. That is an authoritarian dictatorial regime. Um, which, of course, in the United States, you do have to question yourself right now. You'd have to question our government right now and look at us and say, are we even a democracy anymore? I mean, what's happening to us? The big lie has taken over the Republican Party. We're seeing these major voter suppression and nullification bills passing in all of these states. I mean, we are in dire consequence right now. We are in turmoil as a nation right now. The 2022 midterms for the elections for Congress are coming up. We'll see what happens there. This is from my local newspaper, the Houston Chronicle. It reads here, quote, voting advocates to march in Texas. Civil rights leader Beto O'Rourke hoping to put pressure on GOP. End quote. Before I get to this piece by Jeremy Wallace um, from the Austin Bureau, which is linked to the Houston Chronicle um, as part of they picked this up and they put this on the Houston Chronicle. Um, I will say that Better Rourke has been pushing for the H.R. 1, which is the For the People Act, to be passed in the United States Congress. Now, for historical context, H.R. 1 was initially introduced back in 2018 when the Democrats won control of the Congress, um, when the Democrats won control of the House of Representatives. But because there was still a Republican-controlled Senate, that bill cannot necessarily pass. Republicans took one. I don't. I don't even think Republicans looked at that bill. Anything that Republic, anything that Democrats try to do. Republicans are in unified opposition to. And so uh, better work, he's going to try again. He's been giving lots of rallies in Austin, also around uh, cities in Texas, just pressuring Republicans and also gaining support for people to pressure Republicans to vote against this. And when you think of protest um, in a democracy, protests are usually um, meant to Uh, essentially put shame on elected officials. They are usually meant to hold elected officials accountable. They are usually meant to call elected officials out and gain, if not national attention, then local attention on this matter. That's what protests are supposed to do. You heard President Biden there mention in his speech, have you no shame? Well, Republicans do not have shame, which is why they are shamelessly promoting the big lie. They are shamelessly passing these bills, which is perpetuated by the big lie. So they're perpetuating the big lie. 
and they are getting candidates on the ballot, getting candidates about to run for the 2022 midterm elections who are promoting the big lie. If you cannot do that, then you are out of the race. You are not considered a, a uh, I don't know, a good Republican or I guess a Trump Republican. And so this is what they're doing. And so the pressure continues, but I'm not sure if this pressure is going to work. So this is from Jeremy Wallace at the Austin Bureau. Quote, National voting rights advocates, Texas Democrats, and political leaders, including former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, are organizing a three-days march reminiscent of the 1960s civil rights movement in Central Texas next week, hoping to put more pressure on Republicans who are pushing for new voter restrictions in Texas. Quote, it is to nationalize who's going, what's going on in Texas, said the Reverend William Barber, co-chair of the New Poor People's Campaign, which is an outgrowth of a group organized by the Representative Martin Luther King. Barber, who is a leader in fighting voting restrictions in North Carolina, said the 27-mile Texas march will start in Georgetown, Texas, on Wednesday morning and conclude at the Texas State Capitol in Austin on July 31st. It's meant to evoke the 1965 march or over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where the late U.S. Representative John Lewis and others were beaten by police. Dozens of civil rights groups in Texas and around the nation have already committed to join the march in hopes of pushing Congress to pass national legislation to protect voter rights amid a series of Republican-led efforts in state houses around the nation. End quote. A better work can he puts in this piece here, quote, this is a make or break moment for democracy. End quote. And for better or work to say that this is a make or break moment for democracy, it is he's not being hyperbolic by saying that. Um, it definitely is. If you look at the state of our democracy right now and what's currently going on, you do really have to question yourself. You do really have to question it. Are we still a democracy? Will we ever, will we remain a democracy? 50 years from now, you know, not even that far. Because the way we're going right now is extremely, extremely intimidating and concerning. So two years from now, will the United States still be a democracy? One year from now, will the United States still be a democracy? If you look at this strategically, if you look down the abyss and you look at the United States, are we still a democracy? Or years from now, are we we a dictatorship? Or are we an autocracy or an authoritarian regime? Because that is where we are headed with these voter suppression and nullification tactics and bills passing by Republicans. Also perpetuating the big lie. Also defending an insurrection against the United States and working, actively working to whitewash those events. That's where we are headed. That's what happens if you look back on history. That's what has happened to governments in the past. There is no way to fix this unless Republicans, (laughs) well, Donald Trump has already gained so much support from the party. He has already gained so much uh, control over the party. Republican pushback is not really working anymore. Just a couple members trying to push back to see if they can take over the party again, take back the party from Trump, but that's not working. It's not going to work ever because of his control. And this is what they are doing right now. They are restricting voting. They are nullifying votes. They are having to do this. Democrats are having to literally leave the state 
because of a nationwide concerted attack on voting rights by Republicans. And that isn't new. Republicans have been doing this for a long time. Except this time, Republicans' motive for suppressing and nullifying minorities' votes is essentially to defend election integrity and promoting and also promoting voting to be easier, which is just a cover for what they're actually doing, which is perpetuated by the big lie so they can overturn elections and also, oh yeah, get more Republicans elected into office. But they're not ever going to tell you that. And on that point there, removing the Georgia Secretary of State as overseer as overseer of the statewide election and installing your own political hack is defending election integrity? Really? Does making it illegal to pass out food and water to someone in line while they're waiting to vote, does that really make it easier for them? No, because they're more inclined to leave the line because they are dehydrated or starving. By doing partisan, conspiratorial, and delusional, and dangerous spectacles, not audits, spectacles, does that really defend election integrity? No, it makes the United States look like a clown show. It does not make us look like a democracy. It makes us look like an authoritarian regime who wants to install their own person that they thought should have won the election back into the White House. That's what it makes us look like. On that point, audits are real, and it has happened before in our electoral process. For instance, in Bush v. Gore, there were recounts, and that is completely legal. Every candidate has the right to do that, but that difference between that one and this one is that the audit was professional. It was not handled by a partisan conspiracy theory tech company who believes that Trump won the election and the 2020 election was rigged somehow. What's happening in Arizona and other states can't cannot be audits. They are not audits, and we should not be humoring it or calling it that either. It's really dangerous by persisting with these conspiracy theories. It radicalizes people, which leads to events like January 6th and other domestic terrorist attacks on the United States soil. Yes, January 6th happened. If you think that January 6th cannot happen again by the rate of which we are going as a country, by the rate of which the Republican Party is going as a country, by continuing, by perpetuating the big lie, and also passing these voter suppression and nullification bills, you are mistaken. January 6th can definitely happen again. If not at the United States Capitol, then at local capitals. Threats and death threats against election officials are continuing now to the point where they are resigning from their post. And that's exactly what Trump supporters want. That's exactly what Republicans want so they can install their own little partisan election officials in there. A couple of weekends ago at CPAC, uh, former President Donald Trump, he kept up his same mendacious language about the election, how the election was stolen from him, and how he actually won the election. There was a poll conducted on who should be the party's next president. And Trump got 71% of the vote even after he incited an insurrection against the United States of America. Why not give him another chance? What could possibly go wrong? Whether you put down your phone to be there for your daughter, or pick up your phone to call a helpline for your roommate, When it comes to mental health, now more than ever, every action counts. 
Welcome back. So right now, the United States is facing a shortage of a lot of things. We're facing a shortage of workers. Also, we're facing a shortage of some items in terms of shipping. I will tell you this story really quick before I um, play this news report for you. Um, just a couple of months ago, it was, I believe this is in June, so last month, um, uh, my grandparents were looking for this new um, couch because this other one that we have is deteriorating. And so they were looking for this new couch. And once they uh, came back to the house, uh, I essentially inquired about how long it would take for the couch to to arrive to the house. Um, and essentially, they said that because of COVID-19, because of the coronavirus pandemic, the worker in, in the store said, the worker in the furniture store said, because of COVID-19, the couch will be here in September. At first, I thought he and at first I thought the worker and they were joking, but apparently that was not a joke. This is serious. Uh, this is what we're actually going through now, um, having to wait on items, having a shortage of many things here right now in the United States, um, as the country is not really, but kind of, sort of getting back to normal. We do still have a a new emerging COVID crisis right now in the United States. I'm going to be talking about that later on this weekend. But yes, so this is what is happening right now, a shortage of many things. Uh, this is reporting from ABC News. Back here at home, the virus and its economic impact are behind a summer of frustration. Companies are struggling to find workers, and there's a shortage of everything from furniture to menu items at Taco Bell. The number of industries struggling to find workers right now is expanding, frustrating everyone from retail consumers to travelers who had hoped for more of a normal summer. This is the summer that everybody needs to have a lot of patience. The very sort of uneven service levels because, you know, or organizations are struggling to get the uh, the people they need and, uh, you know, to get the, the quality of uh, talent that they need. With a record number of job openings, companies are going to new extremes to fill vacancies. One executive in waste management recently suggested using prisoners or work release programs to find workers. Parts of the service industry are also looking into the idea. Restaurants in Texas, Michigan, Delaware and Ohio can now use a state-run program connecting them with people transitioning out of the criminal justice system. Meanwhile, at the airports, long lines due to a labor shortage at the TSA have contributed to a spike in violence. The head of the TSA telling Congress Tuesday that 85 TSA officers have now been assaulted since the pandemic began. Just sadly had two assaults yesterday um, coming through one of our checkpoints. Um, there has been some frustration over the mask mandate. That the worker shortage also having a ripple effect on product supply chains. The Quesalubas cheese stuffed shell is back, and we think you'll like it. Taco Bell is warning customers that some menu items may not be available because of national ingredient shortages and delivery delays. And a lack of truckers is being blamed for a liquor shortage. Our alcohol, our liquor, um, week to week, we don't know what we're going to be able to get. Bars also desperate for workers. One brewery in New York printed help wanted signs on their beer cans. And if you order new furniture for the summer, a shortage of foam is now causing delays. Once again, reporting from ABC News there, just exactly what I was talking about. Um, a shortage of foam is now causing delays in reference in regards to furniture. Um, so, yes, uh, we're also seeing a record number of uh, workers quit their jobs. Most recently, it was this huge uh, nationalized um, story out of Burger King. Um, Burger King workers just walked out. Um, so we're continuing to follow these stories here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show um, as we are watching as the United States sort of gets back, but not really gets back to normal. We'll be right back.
At a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part. On the home front, on the front lines, to lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this because we're better together, even if we're a little farther apart. Welcome back. So this has felt like a very, very long week. It is hard to believe that just this Monday, uh, just earlier this week, uh, was the anniversary of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I don't know if any of you uh, out there, any of you listeners feel that way, but this has felt like a very, very long week for me. So it is hard to comprehend that it was just this Monday. Uh, But yes, this Monday was the three-year anniversary of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I did not request that y'all send an anniversary messages, um, but one person actually did. Um, I did not request that he sent this in, but it was my best friend, Brendan Brown, uh, once again, the host of the Brendan Brown Collection of Facts and Theories podcast show. He sent this voice message in, and I want you to take a listen to it. Here it is. Hey, Jeremiah, I just want to tell you congratulations for reaching three years. What and what and what an amazing, amazing milestone. Three years of podcasting. That is just amazing, man. You know, honestly, I apologize because I forgot that the three-year anniversary was this month. Because I knew it was going to be three years this year. I just, you know, honestly wasn't even thinking of it till you said that. And I was like, Jeremiah's three years anniversary. And I said, oh, yeah, three-year anniversary. So, yeah, man, congratulations for that milestone. Hope you continue doing the podcast. I will be coming in listening to those COVID details because I am very much, very much reaching out. I mean, not reaching out, excuse me, researching on this COVID information because you know personally I told you that. I haven't been vaccinated yet, and I will be getting vaccinated soon. And also, thank you for sharing my podcast on your podcast. And like I say, hope for the best, man. And God bless you on your journey with podcasting. God bless. So once again, that anniversary message came in, I believe it was Tuesday, the following Tuesday, right after that Monday, earlier this week, after the three-year anniversary of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. He did say that he forgot, and just to be fair, I will mention that I also forgot to send in uh, my anniversary message for his his podcast anniversary, the one-year anniversary of his show. Uh, so um, not to put any fault on anyone, it is okay. Sometimes people forget. I didn't necessarily request um, anyone send in messages this year because I was super, super busy um, getting ready to come back after um, uh, the inconsistent delay in publishing episodes. So once again, the three-year anniversary of the Jeremiah Patterson Show, wow, it is absolutely uh, just still amazing looking back on three years of the showdown and just saying, wow, I've been doing this for three years. All right, we got much more to get to tonight. Stay with us. Hey, TGPS listeners, if you ever run out of episodes to binge on this podcast, then go listen to my other podcast called U.S. Presidents, where I talk about the presidential administrations from 1 through 44, and I also talk about those presidents and how it's intrinsic that we recall the history from back then and learn from it now, as we are currently dealing with uh, a health crisis and also some other simultaneous crisis crises right now in the United States. On that podcast, I reflect on presidential history and reflect on the previous presidential administrations. And I also talk about where we are now and where we were back then. And I also express and divulge some of my knowledge with you. So once again, U.S. Presidents, it is a podcast about the presidential administrations from back then. And I'm moving my way up to now. Take a listen. Hey, Google. More than 100 billion words are translated every day. Thank you very much for your help. 
What's about food? What's about friendship? About sport? About belief? About fear? Words that can hurt and sometimes divide. But every day, the most translated words in the world are how are you? Thank you. And I love you. Welcome back. So this was one of the very shortest episodes of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I'm going to go ahead and conclude right now. Um, instead of adding on more news segments, essentially with me talking and sort of, um, I guess, me adding on and on. It's just to make the episode longer to reach a certain point, which I usually like to make around 42 or 45 or 46 minutes, depending on how much news I need to cover. Uh, but there is a lot more news to cover here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. And that news, that reporting will be added on um, just later on this weekend here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. So please look forward to that. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I really appreciate it. Have a great night. Remember to stay positive and inspired and take care.